You are right. I totally completely missed that. Let's cut that. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of Cinema Decon, deconstructing and overthinking the movies of our younger years. My name is Steve, and on this podcast, we will revisit the movies that we keep in the back part of our minds as flawless masterpieces, untouchable by any criticism, and hopefully they stay that way. Join us as we rewatch a randomly selected movie from our list of 300 plus from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. With me on this journey is my co-host, a guy who always has complete faith in whatever the government tells him, Aaron. How are you tonight, Aaron? Oh, it's been a very busy couple of weeks. And I know it seems like I say that every single episode, but this last few weeks was absolutely brutal. I'm pretty sure I still have laundry piling up from the last time we recorded an episode. It has been quite busy. Uh, we, we took an unscheduled hiatus between Idiocracy and now pretty much uh, everything happened. Yeah, yeah all the things. Well, yeah, all <laughs> the things. It was like, oh, yeah, we have a movie to do. We, we should go do that. Yeah. But it's going to be back, so. Oh, definitely. Yes. For for our literal tens of viewers out there. Which, of course, I say that jokingly because, surprisingly, we have more than that. A big thank you out there, actually, to all who listened to our Idiocracy episode. The episode crushed previous numbers, weirdly. Uh, it became extremely popular with uh, at least a small demographic of crowd, and three times the number of downloads on that particular episode. That's pretty awesome. So thank y'all. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that. That's really cool. Glad you guys seem to enjoy it. They like money. Wait, there's money involved. (laughs) Whoa. whoa. (laughs) You guys are getting paid. (laughs) Uh, All right. We do, we do have a patron. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. He may or may not have been a prior guest, but that doesn't no, matter. That's that's classified. The Patreon is out there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's classified information. <laughs> All right. So what we do here at Cinema Decon is a rewatch of an old movie in the hopes that they are still as good as we remember them. Then Steve and I meet up, talk about it, point out our high and low parts, uh, then give it a rank and place on our mega list. Before we watch our target movie, we first record our memories and recollections. Then we proceed to go and watch that movie. So far, our memories have been both perfect and completely wrong at the same time. Today's movie is the 2005 film, Good Night and Good Luck. Directed by George Clooney, written by George Clooney and Grant Hesloff, starring George Clooney, Davis Stratham, Jeff Daniels, and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Clooney with the hat trick. This week's episode is brought to you by McCarthy's Fine Jewelry. Tired of having to hide your marriage from your boss? McCarthy's specialty incognito line features a completely clear band and setting for the discriminating adult that wants to keep their job. McCarthy's fine jewelry. Show your love without showing your hand. <laughs> so you know? apt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that went over well? Uh, yeah, that was great. I mean, it's a, it's really right. a good... Uh... <laughs> so Aaron, this may be a short pre-watch, but what are your recollections of Good Night and Good Luck? Um, since I have never seen this movie, my only recollection is from when it, when I've watched something that has referenced it. Uh, I do recall an episode of Scrubs where the janitor takes over the mic 
<laughs> and and basically oh. does a good night and good luck over the over the screen. And that's the first thing that came to mind when it said good night and good luck. I'm like, ah, Dr. Jan Itor. Good night and good luck. Love that movie. <laughs> I had never seen this uh, until I was dating uh, my wife and she was a big fan of it because she watched this in, in college in her, her film school. Uh, it's about the say McCarthyism and the journalism ethics and standards during that time, like during the blacklist as Joseph McCarthy is getting crazier and crazier. The journalists are like, at what point do we, our ethics kick back on this? This is getting absurd. And it, it mm. all revolves around uh, Edward R. Murrow played by David Stratham. Edward Murrow would end his shows. Good night and good luck. That, that's his sign off. Mm. So that's where that comes from. Uh, but it's it's all behind the scenes of uh, whatever 60 Minutes or whatever. I can't remember what the show is, but it's behind the scenes in the writer's room and the producer's room of that show. So really, really cool. And I think it's all black and white, too, if I remember right. Yeah, from what, I, uh, and, from what it looks like. And I think, I think Robert Downey Jr. might be in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, There's, uh, just looking at the cast of it, yeah, George Clooney, Jeff Daniels, Alex Borstein. Robert Downey Jr., uh, Tom McCarthy, aptly named, <laughs> Tate, Tate Donovan. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching it with Michelle and I was blown away. Like, why have I never seen this before? This is, this is fantastic. So I'm, I'm looking forward yeah, to seeing I, this one again. Uh, you know, finally a, a good excuse to watch it. Cause it's, it's not, it's definitely not like a rewatchable one. Like we, just saw idiocracy where you could kind of watch it over and over again oh this yeah is, this is definitely a watch it and pay attention and your your you know it's a historical drama so oh and frank langella is in it nice oh i, I like frank langella yeah, he's a good actor so excellent yeah i'm definitely looking forward to this i like i like these types of movies clooney did direct it too writer director and there actor in it. yeah all right so uh Short pre-watch, but you know, worth it. And we will now go off and watch Good Night and Good Luck. Dr. Jan Itor, Good Night and Good Luck. Good movie. <laughs> we must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine. And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to associate, to speak, and to defend the causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the results. We proclaim ourselves, indeed, as we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world, but we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. The actions of the junior senator from Wisconsin have caused alarm and dismay amongst our allies abroad and given considerable comfort to our enemies. And whose fault is that? Not really his. He didn't create this situation of fear. He merely exploited it, and rather successfully. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good night and good luck.
And we're back. We have watched Good Night and Good, good luck. luck. We got the movie, you know, 100% correct, more or less, with our pre-watch. You know, it, it's it's really a straight-to-the-point movie. Uh, other than uh, I got the name of his show wrong. I said 60 Minutes. And Ah, uh, uh, yes. It's, uh, it's See It Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this was a this was a, a good watch. Perfect hour and a half runtime, pretty quick and uh, mm-hmm. extremely relevant today. Yes, um, and it was de- it was a very good watch, especially for pretty much any history buffs, because it seems to be almost it's it's less of a dramatization and more of kind of a retelling of a, actually what happened from specific points of views. Yeah, it feels like, like if you were watching a documentary exactly. and, there, and there were reenactments you know, that mm. they keep cutting to, that's what the entire movie felt like. The reenactments mm. inside of a documentary with amazing jazz performances every 20 minutes. Oh, yes. That's some good stuff. So like, but for me, like I knew the whole concept behind the McCarthyism and everything. Obviously, I'm a little young for that, so I didn't experience it. But uh, I've seen a couple different films and, and uh, like documentary type shows on it. And this gave another kind of angle to it and about, you know, the people that were fighting against not just fighting against communism, but actually fighting against McCarthyism and uh, the crackdown of if you're not with us, then you're automatically the suspect to be the enemy kind of thing. Exactly. Which is definitely, definitely relevant today. Yeah, in the and I really enjoyed this kind of the behind the scenes look of a, a 1950s news show. That was that was really fascinating. Just just how they how they filmed it. The whether it's the the news show or it's the uh, the interviews he was doing and mm-hmm. the writers' room dealing with the the higher ups. I mean, it was just a, a nice uh, nice insight to that little business. Yeah, like the and it goes back to like the little things where he had they were doing the uh, their. 1950s version of CGI with uh, with the windowsill. Exactly. To show it yeah. look, looking like it was outside. I was like, I was like watching the. I've seen a couple different YouTubes of 50 style CGI, or it's not really CGI, but camera tricks at that point on how they got certain shots, whether it's like uh, the Hitchcock style dual focus lens, or uh, I can't remember the uh, name of the product, but where they put use tin foil on a 45 degree angle on a same piece of glass to make it reflect from another angle. So you can show a small image instead of a large one or something, but how they did in this particular one, how they did the, the uh, screen, which I'm guessing that's what they did on this was they probably had a a mirror behind that fake window seal and just threw a and just uh, Mm -hmm. pointed at something like a a projector. uh, I can't remember what that's called. It's the same thing they do with the, uh, the haunted mansion in Disney to, to make all the ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the trick, but yeah, I can't either, but yeah, it's the, the 45 degree glass. Mm -hmm. Something's ghost. That's what I remember. Yeah. Pepper's ghost. Pepper's ghost. I think that's it. Yeah. But also the the way they did the interview, like with Liberace was all pre-taped and they just had Mm -hmm. the, they had the cue cards there and he's reading in, Uh, but we can get to that. Which Uh, I have a note on that too. So (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We'll so the movie opens up at a, a kind of an award ceremony or some sort of ceremony where Edward R. Murrow is the keynote speaker. Before they introduce him, there's a, a nice jazz playing and the camera's panning around to all these smiling faces, which we don't know yet, but that's our center group. Because mm-hmm. uh, as much as this is a movie on Edward R. Murrow, it, it, it's, they really do focus on that, that core group of uh, I don't know, writers, producers, the showmakers. 
yeah. of this show. It makes you it makes it kind of makes you think they're kind of the rat pack type group, but in like New York media instead of LA Hollywood kind of thing. Um I I definitely like the the old the old timey style for first of all, the entire movie's in black and white. Spoiler alert. Um, but like the old the old time they had like the old time uh, Warner Brothers logo and all the fonts that come up. And when the camera comes in and you've got all, you know, it's panning around showing all of them. You've got the jazz, that smooth jazz music, like the lounge jazz music going over fame. And you can sort of hear the to- the muffled talking in the background, but it's it's overshadowed by just the jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gave me a, just this scene alone, just gave me a huge reminiscent vibe of like uh, the Ink and Paint Club from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, but you, you uh, see Robert Downey Jr. <clears throat> Excuse me. You see Robert Downey Jr., Tate Donovan, uh, Patricia Clarkson, and several others that are you know in the, in that main group, all smiling and taking pictures. And then Jeff Daniels introduces Edra, Edward Murrow, who takes the stage, played by David Stratham. He gives kind of half of a speech, which we come back to the second half at the end of the movie. It's your it's your first introduction to Edward Armour to people who don't right. really know who he is or whatever, and, and it's it's not it's not like a comfy grandpa sort of thing. He's firm. He's almost angry. It's it's a it's a warning. The whole yeah. speech is a warning about television itself, and if you don't use it properly, if you just keep it as a a means of entertainment only, just for goofiness, then you're wasting it, and it's your own fault. You know the people. It's it's your fault if you allow the institutions to waste it. But you don't get the full context of his speech until the end where, you know, you, the, the whole McCarthy stuff plays out. Yeah, because this, uh, this is technically uh, in the timeline. This is at the end of the timeline. This takes it, place. This award ceremony is October 25th, 1958. 58. So five days after his infamous show run, first show running. And then uh, after this whole thing, we actually bounce back in the timeline to October 14th. This is all in the same year? Uh, no, uh, not in the same year. Sorry. No, I think the, oh, the award wow. ceremony was years later. You are right. I totally completely missed that. Let's cut that. <laughs> I, have it, I have it on here, 58, 53, and I just glanced at it in my notes. And I guess I didn't even realize that in there. But, yeah, it's... To go with our show slogan, math is hard. Yeah, <laughs> math are hard. So, yes. So we, got, so we bumped back about five years. Yeah, the, the next scene has people coming to work and there's a screen scroll that d- gives the, the viewer a description of the Red Scare and McCarthyism, what was actually going down in, in people's heads at the time mm-hmm. as they go into a bustling TV newsroom and again, pans over all the key players. And this is where we then meet uh, Joe and Shirley. Uh, Joe played by Robert Downey Jr. Shirley is Patricia Clarkson. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say up front, is kind of the weakest point of the movie, you know, their, their thing. Yeah. It had no bearing on the actual stuff. And again, that, that kind of goes back to this not being over-dramatized. This seems more like a documentary than this may be exactly how it was. Their, their story is true. They were yeah. secretly married and, and yeah. So, so Joe and Shirley are married, but in quotes, nobody knows that they're married. 
Which, yeah, they they kind of hinted at that at the beginning. Yeah, they did. Uh, they didn't come out right and say thing and say the whole thing, but they definitely hinted at it. Well, they hinted at them being together. They were yes dating, and then later on, we find out what the what they're talking about though is the loyalty oath, mm-hmm. uh, a loyalty oath that was given to to Joe, Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Uh, it's pretty much a loyalty oath to America. To the to you know, I am not a communist thing, and if he doesn't sign it, he gets fired. It's it's a great. Um, Great intro, but it's never brought back up, ever. The, the, that loyalty oath thing just kind of floats away. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't bring the, come come back to that in some way. Well, apparently, even Rose signed it, so maybe that was the whole thing. Was uh, they brought it up? They didn't like the fact that they were being forced to sign it in order to keep their jobs and be able to keep doing what they're doing. They decided to just bite the bullet and get it over with. I mean, technically, they weren't lying by signing it or anything, so. I, I see what they're, I see their point though. Yeah. It could have been a good kind of uh you know, kick in the rear to them. Just, you know, that old loyalty oath was the last straw. We're, we're, we're doing this or, I mean, yeah. but I mean, we're tired. We're tired of having to prove to you that, that we are who we yeah. say we are kind of thing just because you tell us to, but they weren't going for revisionist history though. I think, uh, I think Clinty was trying to be as historically accurate as he could be. Yeah. So then, uh, after they go back and forth with the loyalty oath, pan over to uh, a conference room where uh, everyone's sitting around watching a film strip of a speech, uh, and it was a senatorial debate. Well, they're they're talking about which projects to put on the show at this yeah, point. Yeah, they were they were watching the film of the speech, and then when they stop it, they're talking about how they want to fit it into the show and what they want to talk about. Like one of the things that is brought up is senatorial debate based on the comments from the previous show. Yeah, with the uh, Secretary of Agriculture, and they couldn't. Yeah. They were trying to get him back on. That's right. That's right. There's a quick mention of McCarthy, but then once the room clears, Murrow brings up to Fred Friendly, George Clooney's character, the producer, a uh, an Air Force lieutenant named Milo Radulovich, who was kicked out of the Air Force for uh, his his dad subscribed to newspapers back home in Serbia, and basically uh, because he is one of the U.S. Air Force regulations. I actually have that written down. U.S. Air Force Regulation 35-62, uh, that he was deemed a security risk for association with communist or communist sympathizers, which is what they deemed his father and sister were for reading these newspapers. The crux of it all was that he was denied due process. Yeah. So it's one thing for the accusation, but then you're supposed to have a trial, you display the evidence, and you uh, mm-hmm. you get to defend yourself. Just the evidence by itself. The evidence was kept in a sealed envelope that was never disclosed to anybody. They just pretty much set, uh, held up a, a thing and said, here's the evidence. Trust me <laughs> on it. From a UCMJ perspective, you know, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, there's even in there, you, you do have less rights as a service member in that realm, but you still have the right to defend yourself and the right to defend your uh, your actions against whatever evidence, they can't just have a sealed envelope and say, you're kicked out, trust us. Yeah, yeah it, it, even in the military, it doesn't work that way. Uh, I do have a, a note here though, smoky, smoke, smoke, smokers, pipes and cigarettes everywhere. <laughs> that writer's room was, oh. a, was a hot box oh, yeah. <laughs> of just smoke. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that scene. Uh, yeah, good old Mad Men stuff. Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, it was one of the things that uh, the, the Air Force did say that he could keep his job if he publicly denounced his father and sister, to which Radulovich pretty much told him to take a hike. 
And I, I looked into Radulovich in real life and uh, he, he pretty much, his dad was literally just subscribing to papers from his hometown to keep in touch with yeah. events of, the, of his hometown. That's. Yeah. I'll give it one thing. This is one of the few movies that I, half the time I was watching it, I was Googling and wikiing all the things that were going on because I wanted to know more about it. It's, I had heard of some things like this. Like I, I had heard of a start of it. I didn't recognize Radulovich's name, but once I started reading it, I remembered it. Yeah, so, so they decide to send some reporters to his hometown, try and get him on film and try and get some more information and make a show out of it. And then the next scene, they're reviewing the actual film of uh, Lieutenant Radulovich. It's pretty compelling because he's giving a personal speech about, so he's being blamed for something his father did. Now are his American kids going to be blamed for something he didn't do? Mm -hmm. So it's very, very compelling little, uh, little video, little interview from them. Yeah. And again, this was the actual footage of Radulovich. This wasn't uh, pretty much any of the characters outside the main cast when they were on camera, it was the actual real actual footage. Yeah. Good, good use of archive footage there. So you look in the cast list and like Eisenhower is in the cast list. Liberace himself. How, <laughs> how many times can you put Liberace and Eisenhower in the same movie? Thank Clooney. Other than that one time. <laughs> Other than that one time, which we don't speak of. But after they watched that film, they were actually showing it to um, Jeff Daniels character, which I don't even have his name. I don't know what his name is. Yeah. Sig Nicholson. Appears to be their boss. Which I have a note on because it's kind of weird. Because after this scene, you don't see him until the end of the movie. He disappears. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Daniels literally just disappears throughout all the, the good McCarthy stuff in the middle. He's non-existent. But this is a good scene for him because he's playing the uh, the corporate you know middleman. He's not the, he's not the owner of the company, but he is the the, the higher authority of, of this show. And they're talking journalistic ethics editorialize or don't editorialize. And this is where it starts getting into really re relevant stuff with, with real life. You know, is it the point of the press to just repeat what the government dictates or do they have an obligation to provide both views of, of sides? And do they have their own freedom to provide their own editorialized opinion on those two sides? And then there's obviously from, from the owner's perspective, there's obviously the fear that during this whole scare, just the concept of being the, station that airs both sides would uh make people think that they themselves are sympathizers if they're airing exactly. the yeah if they're gonna tell milo's story and milo's accused of being a communist then they're gonna assume well then you must love communists so now we're gonna stop listening to you kind of thing which is the whole thing of mccarthyism and, and well and then that's when the sponsors will bolt exactly because they even brought that up when he was talking about wanting to do this episode is one of the things that sig said was that their main main sponsor alcoa wouldn't wouldn't pay for the ads for that episode did, did you know who alcoa was when he said it i did not and neither did i <laughs> i never i it. when i first heard the name it sounded like a pet, pet food company like like yeah, yeah, yeah like alpo uh it's it's american or no america aluminum company i think yeah aluminum company corporation of america there, there it is yep yeah alcoa but i mean three thousand dollars uh for the ads on that show tells you how, how much inflation has risen <laughs> yeah, since right. the 1950s. <laughs> so that, yeah, and to get around this Murrow and Fred agree that they'll split the ads just to get that show out, which is, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it leads to a good good joke as they're all leaving the room. It says, um, I guess Fred's not gonna buy his kids any any gifts for Christmas this year. And, <laughs> and uh, like, don't oh, worry, yeah. he's Jewish. <laughs> don't worry, Jewish. Don't don't tell him that. He still celebrates Christmas. <laughs> yeah, don't tell Fred he loves Christmas. <laughs> Fred is, is George Clooney, say the producer, and I, I like his character. He's very his name is Fred Friendly, and not not to put a pun on it, but he's a very friendly guy. He he seems very level headed, logical, uh, on the right side of of pretty much every argument we see, and just everyone seems to like him without any yeah. fear. They actually made that pun in the movie about yeah, like, him being a friendly guy. I did like though the um, in in that particular meeting with Jeff Daniels though. Uh, George Clooney has the line of, well, we're all in this together. And Jeff Daniels shuts him down. He's like, spare me, Fred. Any lines of how we're all in this together? Don't insult me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound familiar at all these days. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, yeah, they decide to go after the Air Force. Right at the same time, how convenient, there are two colonels in Fred's office, which he goes to meet. And at this point, they're basically, they're wanting to get more information about it so they can tell their story, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they're literally just. This story is about you guys. You're involved. You may comment. Yep. And the Air Force comes in with the hard press of shut it down. Yeah, we're we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna get his side of the story. We would like to see the evidence that is against him so that we can report on it. And they're basically saying, nope. Uh, we strongly urge you to reconsider this because it is without merit. Yeah, they said that, and that's what they say. It's without merit. But then Clooney comes back at it. Well, how do you know? You know, have you seen the contents of them? Has anyone seen what's in that envelope? Who has seen it? Yeah. Yeah, it's very weird. Very weird. And uh, they keep saying on the in the background that this is not McCarthy, but then, you know, Murrow's like, isn't it? So then, then we jump, basically, they've, just, they've went ahead and they're going to do the episode. We jump to October 20th, I guess, infamous episode where this all starts. Yeah, it's a showtime where they're they're getting ready to put go the, the I assume this was live, was it? Yes, because the phone's right after and all that stuff. So I mean, it's got to be live, yeah. You know, good good line from Murrow after George Clooney lights his uh, cigarette because Murrow's like, "I think we're going to be all right." And Fred's like, "Yeah." The funny thing, Freddie, every time you light a cigarette for me, I know you're lying. Yeah. But before we talk about the show, those microphones were huge. Do you see those things? Mm-hmm. It was like like the size of a pineapple. I want to get one. <laughs> I'm sure you can find it somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure it's great for podcasting. Oh yeah. You can reach you can reach at least twice as many people with that. This is where we get a, a pretty cool uh behind the scenes look at a 50s news show. So you've got you've got the guys in the booth, but then you've got Clooney actually crouched down below um Edward Murrow because I mean there weren't tiny earpieces or anything to talk to the anchors. So mm-hmm. Clooney's wearing the headset and giving cues by like tapping Edward Murrow in the uh in the shin. That was pretty cool. Good, good signals and good yeah. communication there. You would think a notepad would be good enough because Murrow most of the time was looking down, looked down in his notes anyway. So I don't know if that would be just like time constraints. I'm guessing it was easier than seeing a, watching a clock on the wall or something. That could be. Well, they, they obviously had a rapport. Those two had a uh, yeah. a system. And David Stratham crushes it as Ed Murrow. Oh yes, he does. I mean, I watched a couple of YouTube videos just to see, and and these guys' mannerisms. It's it's a very very good performance. He was Oscar nominated for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it was a cool intro because everything's everyone's running around quickly, like cutting cutting the film strips together, trying to make the episode, 
make everything done in time. Cause yeah, anytime they cut away from him, it's always to a tape. Yeah. So they don't have, they don't ever have anyone live. So uh, they actually have some, some of the women in there cutting, cutting film together as the, uh, you know, 10 minutes before the episodes ready to air. And he's pretty much asking him, is it going to be, uh, is it going to be ready in time? And this is when the whole, you know, every time I, you light a cigarette, I know you're lying joke. Yeah. That's it. Fred's like, Oh, sure. Plenty of time. Yeah. They're, they're very, it, I'll say it, I, I wish our media was still like this you know, as far as that. He was very straight to the point, well-spoken and just put it all out there in plain spoken yeah. facts. Love it was, that. it was the news. It was facts. It wasn't, I mean, there was editorializing, but it wasn't partisan. It was obvious logic, but, but straight to the point. He's, this man is being booted from the Air Force without any trial, without any due process, and he doesn't even know what the charges are against him. He's just kicked out. And the Air Force has a chance to rebut. They don't, but these are the facts. Yeah, and, and they even say anytime, it's like uh, if they wish to comment, we would be happy to accommodate them on this program. Mm-hmm. Which also, which also comes up later. There is a good funny line in there that two colonels make a general. I laughed at that. <laughs> so he starts the episode, uh, discusses and throws everything out there. They cut to a, a video of Milo's hometown and then to a video of Milo's sister. And then finally to the video of Milo himself making the, making the statement that we watched earlier. Yeah. He brought up the big thing about the charges never brought forth to anyone, including his lawyers. His lawyers didn't even know what he was charged with. His lawyer was very uh, compelling, too, with what he was saying. Like, in 35 years, I've never seen this. Yeah, this is the biggest farce that he's ever seen in however many years. Finally, uh, gets through the whole thing, finishes off with his wonderful signature, good night and good luck, uh, and then goes off the air. And there's like kind of a lull to where he goes off the air, and they dim the lights, and he just sits there and looks down. And then about three, four seconds later, that's when Fred finally tells him we're off, and everybody starts clapping. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. They, they cut then to a, a very weird and hilarious old commercial. Kent cigarettes, <laughs> which I didn't realize it was a commercial until like halfway through it. Yeah. It, it looked like it was a in, in, infertainment because he's talking about. He's talking about the viewers, how, how wonderful and smart the viewers are that they would never be tricked by advertising. Yeah. And then, and then he starts <laughs> talking about Kent cigarettes and how they're the best filters all around. <laughs> Yeah, Edward, they're Edward R. Murrow's brand. So, do you know if that's? I, mean, I don't know. So, do you know? Is was did they make that commercial, or was that an old commercial? I do not know. I know the wiki article on Kent cigarettes does not mention Murrow's name. So, I don't know if that connection is true, but who knows? It wouldn't surprise me if that was if that was real. Have you seen some of the old like fifties advertising? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is ridiculous. Hell, there's a Flintstones you know episode where he's pitching cigarettes. <laughs> Black and white is pretty funny. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I grew up when there were still cigarette ads like that, but nothing to this degree. It reminded me of that one movie, you know, Thank You for Smoking. Ah, yes. But it was a commercial before Murrow's other show where he interviews celebrities, I guess, People on People, I think it was called. Yeah. But yeah, they so they've got this fake interview set up with Liberace. Murrow obviously doesn't even want to be there. He's phoning it in, going through the motions, but the actual... What's fascinating is the interview with Liberace, just how they set it up. Like, like we mentioned earlier with the fake, fake window and the special effects, the pre-recorded uh, interview with the cue cards. It's one of those things. I wonder, did, does he do it? Does he, do they send a camera crew out and then get 
Murrow on the phone beforehand. And he actually initially asks the questions. That way, Liberace's really talking to Murrow and really answering Murrow. I highly doubt it. Or he's he answers somebody. Yeah. Somebody asks him the questions. Yeah. Like, call me Ed. Yeah. yeah. While while I'm here, I'm just a I'm just an associate producer on doing this interview. But call me Ed. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, and they cut that out, and and Murrow's sitting there reading cue cards, telling him what what question he's supposed to ask him and what questions to answer. And one of the funny things. Uh, I noticed on this near the end uh, of the cue cards, uh, he's, he asked him a couple of questions and then he finally says, well, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to everyone. We won't bother you anymore. If you looked at the cue cards, there were at least two more questions on those cue cards. Yeah. There were, there was a whole cue card, whole cue card asking about princess Margaret. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't you can definitely that. tell Murrow was just done. He's like, no, which means they had to quickly cut the tape off before Liberace answered the question. Well, Liberace on marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what he said? Wonder why? It's yeah. Strangest. I have no. I have no clue. Well, why? Why even do it live then? I mean, if the if that's pre-recorded, why can't they just record that? And maybe this show was is pre-recorded, and the other and see it now is live. That would that would make more sense. I mean, it's not like they were waiting yeah. on phone calls after that's the not a, Yeah, interview. it's not a news. I, I think the whole the whole concept of news is the news is supposed to be live. Anything else? But once they get done, you've got uh, Ray Weiss. Waiting in the wings, which yeah, I did, I totally missed that he was in even in that movie. When I saw him come up, he's like, "It's Bob." <laughs> the man looks creepy in like everything he's in. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but he does. Yeah. But he looked especially creepy here with the black and white, the shadows, and he's got yeah. that like Joker smile almost <laughs> comes out of the shadows. <laughs> How you doing, Ed? To anybody who hasn't seen Twin Peaks, go watch Twin Peaks. You'll you'll see Ray Weiss, Bob. And then after this whole after this whole episode, Don actually comes in. Ray Weiss plays Don Hollenbeck, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And Don uh, Hollenbeck. Yeah, there's a couple Dons, so we should just. I I started writing it as Don, and then when the other Dons came in, uh, I started calling him Hollenbeck. But uh, Hollenbeck comes in to talk to Murrow and discussing how in the media they're they're calling him a pinko which was a derogatory term for a communist sympathizer Yeah, during that era. He's talking back and forth about what he thinks the fallout of the whole uh, Milo Radulovich piece is going to be. Uh, Don Hollenbach is, is pretty much trying to gauge Murrow and see how, how deep is he going to get in? Is he going to take a stance against mm-hmm. McCarthy and the, the witch hunt that's going on? Or is he just kind of dipping his toe in that water? Uh, but mm-hmm. it's obvious that Hollenbach is not handling the press well mm-hmm. the, the negative press from uh i believe it's the new york post a, a guy named o'brien keeps writing very poor reviews of his show and calling him a communist sympathizer and he's he's really taking it to heart man he looked creepy he I, and again he always looks creepy i've never seen him in anything where he doesn't give off that thing and speaking of the other don very shortly after um we get a scene where joe is walking in I can't remember what uh, I don't have it uh, written where he was going to do, but he was going with like a DP. It, well, he was walking into the somewhere. Senate hearings to record the Senate. That's hearings. right, and he gets stopped uh, by Don Serene, played by Robert Nepper. I, I knew you would know who that was because I don't know his name, but I just know he's in Heroes and Prison Break. Yeah, it's just it's one of those. Hey, it's that guy. And yeah, he'll he'll always be Prison Break to me because that's where I found first. But yeah, I I always liked him as an actor. He can he's another one of those guys that I can't picture him as ever being a good guy. No, just because Never. he makes such a good bad guy. Every, everything I've seen him in, he's been some sort of shady character. Yeah. But this is the first of the government kind of pokes yeah. at Murrow's crew saying, hey, we can make things 
hard for you. Stop what you're doing. You know, yeah, he's basically trying to ward him off doing the show. And this is him going to Joe. He's not going to Murrow. He's not going to Fred. He's starting with the underlings, mm-hmm. undermine them. Uh, and this is when he, and for another reason is he comes up with the side. Did you know, by the way, that Murrow was on the Soviet payroll in 1935, which may or may not be true. Doesn't matter, but it sure hits Joe for a second. And he's like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to walk away. And as he's walking away, he's basically accusing Murrow of being a sympathizer the, this entire time. And that's why he's running this. And then uh, you're all going to be indicted and shit like that. Yeah, pretty much. It was their only move at that point. Mm-hmm. But then that does get up to the owner of the company or the president of the company. I don't know his exact position. But the next scene is in Mr. Paley's office, who is played by Frank Langelli. This is uh, it's kind of a hard press from the top to the show as far as making the show understand what they're taking on. There is a lot mm-hmm. of risk here, but the risk is actually not on you. It's not on everybody else. It's a, it's on the company, which is me, you know, the, as in Mr. Paley. He's the one that has to deal with other shows. If some, if the company gets taken down, that's hundreds of jobs. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. at risk here. So know what you're doing. Exactly. He's Paley is basically urging the back off because he doesn't want to get hit with McCarthy, you know, hit by McCarthy or the U.S. government. Uh, and lose viewership over it. Um, He's trying to insist that McCarthy is going to get investigated by Congress on his own if he goes too far, which Murrow is basically saying, well, he's already gone too far, to which Paley kind of shuts him down. It's like, you know what? I sign your check. But Murrow doesn't back down. He he stays. No, Murrow does not. He 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 says, you know what? He gives no ground, and and Mr. Paley backs him in the end. Yeah. He just just says, make sure all your people are clean. To which we get into the uh, next discussion. Uh, in this small room uh, about anybody going on the uh, from the next episode, which is actually about McCarthy. Yeah, this is a great scene. They're they're basically going around the room saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. You can ob- obviously understand that there's going to get a lot of blowback on this. McCarthy may come after us, but anybody that doesn't want to be involved in it, I we understand. If you are going to be involved with it, we need to know if there's any skeletons in your closet, anything that they can use against us. And one of the guys... Uh, actually gets up and says, you know, I need to recuse myself. His ex-wife, before they even met, went to meetings and now they're divorced. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the most absurd connection, so, but it, it goes to show that that fear was real in that room. I once accidentally handed a uh, plastic bag to a com- communist sympathizer 25 years ago when I worked as a grocery bagger kind of mentality where, well, then you're obviously a communist. That's the kind of fear that people had, that that's the kind of things people would use against them. And that particular absurdity of, of that loose of a connection, but that fear is, is one of the things that Murrow says, you know, that, that no, you're not recusing yourself. We're going to go, we're absolutely going to go forward because the terror is right here in this room. That was, yeah. And I like that quote. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they all go off. Uh, Clooney puts them all on their missions to get information on, McCarthy. They're on their research things. And now we get kind of a kind of a montage ish where they're they're looking into his old films, uh, mm-hmm. all his old speeches. What, his old speeches. Yeah, trying to just get anything to use against him as far as his own words. Even yeah, even going to the point where like McCarthy, they've got a film of McCarthy discussing a closed hearing speech. So they're discussing the legalities of them airing it because it was a closed hearing speech kind of thing which they ultimately say, you know, if there's a legal issue, it's on McCarthy because he's the one that actually said it. 
we're just repeating it. McCarthy's words just disgusted me as they were saying it. I mean, that mm. that man was vile. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and then it, that scene kind of ends with Murrow writing his closing speech, and he just mentions that it's gonna it's gonna be referencing Shakespeare, which has much more meaning in a in a few moments. But then we get some side commentary from Shirley and Joe, where they admit that they're they are actually married. They're hiding their rings. I think this is when she asked yeah, him to take it off. They're basically talking. Yeah, they're talking about the fall off. And as he's getting dressed, getting ready to the office, she reminds him to remove the ring. Did Patricia Clarkson look like significantly older than Robert Downey Jr. to you? Yes. Okay. So I don't know if it was it wasn't <laughs> just the HD for me, but it was. I, and I honestly think I think it was primarily just the black and white. It could be. And Robert Downey Jr. has always looked young. I don't know offhand, but is Patricia Clarkson older than Robert Downey Jr.? I don't know. I didn't look it up. I just, just went by looks, and uh, the black and white wasn't kind to her. Yeah, next up, we get the actual show that goes after McCarthy. Uh, this is before they're getting ready for the, the new show, the pre-production and everything. And uh, Paley calls down with a kind of a funny moment because he, he gets Ed Murrow on the line as he's sitting at, at the broadcast desk. and it's Like, I got some tickets for the knickerbockers tonight you want to go <laughs> yeah i'm a little busy bringing down the network bill <laughs> oh oh is that tonight <laughs> well go on <laughs> but he does say i'm with you today ed and i'm with you tomorrow yeah so i'll give him that when they start the show and this is something that kind of jumped out at me as far as he gave so much respect to his viewers because he says i request your permission to read from a script yeah like that's you're not going to see that today, whether it's CNN or Fox or whomever. You're not going to see that level of respect for the viewers themselves and say, this is so important that I have prepared remarks and I request your permission to read them. That's just it's classy. It's very classy. Mm-hmm. He basically and he basically starts off with just a description of what he's going to do. who he's going to talk about if Mr. McCarthy would like to rebuke, 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 would like to re, 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 send of a rebuttal whatever <laughs> english is hard too damn it <laughs> would like to rebuke any any of these statements we fully welcome them and we will allow that on this show so he, he has a huge disclaimer this is what we're doing this is what uh, we're going to report on mccarthy if mccarthy or his people want to say anything we'll give absolutely give them all the time in the world or you know equal time to do so and i like that too that used to still have sometimes but it's not I don't know. It just didn't seem as trustworthy nowadays. Well, especially the the type of rebuttal. I mean, it was a the, the rebuttal. Once yeah. we get to it, was a was a video that was pre made. It wasn't like a we're going to have you on to rebut for, for forty five seconds. Make your point, and we're going to interrupt you while you do it. No. You know, that's today's news. No, it was a you send us a tape of your rebuttal, and we will air it. So that was kind of cool. But we don't see that yet. No, no. So now he's basically talking. Uh, he's going through. And it just all he's really doing is showing clips of McCarthy's speeches, talking about uh, his attacks on the ACLU uh, or his statements about how the ACLU was de- was considered a terrorist organization or something. Uh, and then he rebuts with comments about how it was never classified as such by the government or anyone that he could yeah, find. Shining a light on his shady tactics in those hearings that you were part of the Boy Scouts. Yeah. Did you know that the Boy Scouts are tagged as a communist group now? Like, no, I didn't know that. Well, they are. Does that make you a communist now? It's just a complete lie Things to like try that. and get something out of them. I was going to say, and before we go too much farther, uh, one of the funny notes on this was, I can't remember the exact reason 
because it didn't seem like a thing at the time. But they decided to turn the phones off. Well, the phones were going crazy before the show started. Oh, yeah, before yeah. the show. So they decided to turn the phones off so they weren't distracted during the show. Which was a good setup. It seems like a, a little throwaway thing yeah. at the time. Like, okay, this is just normal that you're not going to come back to this. So they go through this whole show. After the show goes off the air, they're immediately expecting phone calls and not a single, single phone rings. And, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at the phone. Like the episode goes down and Murrow literally stares at his phone and nothing. Because I'm assuming, I'm assuming he's expecting a call from Paley immediately. Yeah. And then everybody else is like, uh, anybody else got a phone? And they're all checking him. He's like, nothing. They're dead. And then all of a sudden, the intern in the back, <laughs> should I turn the phones back on, sir? And they all just stare at him like, yeah, yeah, you should turn the phones back on. <laughs> so he flips the switch and every single phone lights up. And it's great. That episode, though, does end with a fantastic speech of Murrow talk, uh, where he's quoting Shakespeare and the, the, the Fault in Our Stars. Mm. And it, it ends in just a, you know, about you know, 30, 40 seconds of him pretty much laying it all out there that these tactics are, they're un-American, they're, they're shady, and it's not necessarily McCarthy's fault. It's everyone's fault for letting but him do it. But he's taking advantage of it. He's, he's exploiting he's it. it. He's exploiting it. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the fault is not in our stars, Brutus. It's in ourselves. It's a good speech. Mm. And then right, and basically right after the phones start ringing, and then they uh, show a scene, they cut back to Hollenbeck on air, where he kind of he's praising Murrow. Actually, all the line, yeah, and he's like, yeah, I think I speak for everyone here, where I say I wholeheartedly stand by everything that Mister Murrow just said. Which for somebody that's scared of uh, what the public's thinking of him and worried about the press, that was kind of a genuine moment for him. Yeah, it's a ballsy of, statement. Yeah. Of just forgetting, forgetting about the, what backlash you might get for a second and say something real kind of thing. To which, uh, yeah, he, he falls back into the worrying about it shortly thereafter. But. Yeah, they, they all go out for, for drinks uh, to celebrate the the episode, and uh, they're all drinking until around three thirty in the morning when the uh, the early edition newspapers come out, and they send uh, Shirley off to well Shirley and Joe, but they tell Shirley to go get him uh, to go get the newspapers, and there's there's a nice awkward silence until the newspapers return. But they get those early edition newspapers, and the the New York Times praises the show and good reviews all around, brave, and all that good stuff, and then. Poor, poor Don Hollenbach is hit hard by the uh, the New York Post again, and he even he asked her to read it. Yeah, he's like, "What about O'Brien? What about O'Brien's column?" And so he's like, "You know what? Don't worry about him." Uh, he's like, "Well, read. It. I want to re- hear it. I want to read it." So she she grabs it and starts reading it, and it's uh, not good. It's primarily centered on Hollenbach, it seems, and not really on Murrow. Yeah, it was a complete deflection. Who you know, I don't know who that O'Brien yeah. guy is when he wrote that article, but I mean, he, he barely mentions Murrow, and the whole thing is just a hit piece on O'Brien or, or on uh, Hollenbach. For yeah, to me, it, it made me think for a while that Hollenbach was like, you know what, screw this guy, I want to hear it anyway, and I'll, uh, I don't care what he says, but I want to hear it. Uh, it turns out later that no, I think he was taking it a lot harder than yeah. what I initially thought. Yeah, he, he thought he made a a stand with the you know another giant with with Murrow and that there was he was kind of untouchable in that moment that he was going to be praised for his his bravery as well but then nope uh, O'Brien crushed him 
and he took it to heart. Then we go back to the office uh, the next day. Uh, I got Fred in the elevator, Mr. Paley, you know, kind of joins him on the elevator. gets a bit awkward. Yeah. That was a very awkward scene. Cause he, cause Paley is kind of staring at him for a bit. Yeah. And Fred's just trying to make small talk and look away. And then Paley finally looks away. But then we, we quickly get to the, the newsroom again. One of the guys makes an announcement that uh, Lieutenant Radulovich has been reinstated. So the, the, Air, yeah. the secretary of the air force reversed his decision. Yeah. And ba- basically stated he's no longer considered a security risk to which, you know, every, everybody's happy about the thought that it was kind of a win. Uh, and then Fred walks over to the gentleman that confessed about his ex-wife uh, who went to the meetings before that the CBS lawyers want to talk to him, tries to assure him that they're talking to everyone, but I have a feeling that's not really the case. Yeah. The, it doesn't really come to anything. It, do, it doesn't. It, I think it was more just to kind of, again, set the tone. Yeah. They, they are constantly fear. coming at. Yeah. Cause now, now it's CBS is worried. Yeah. Cause he actually rejoins the group later on when they're doing a film review of uh, yeah. a Pentagon lady who worked apparently in the code room, uh, whose name was Annie Lee Moss. Annie Lee Moss. Yep. Yeah. So she's in the hot seat at the Senate committee and being accused of being a, a communist. Yeah. Uh, once again, all the actual footage, which is really cool. They had an undercover FBI agent in that went to communist meetings. Uh, that was a quote unquote dues paying communist card carrying communist that named her in a list. And then they say that they have corroborating evidence of it, but they cannot, sh- but just like the Merdulovich case, they, they won't produce the evidence and they won't produce the witness because the witness is still undercover. And that's what they decide to go with as far as the show. Not is she yeah. or is she a communist? Their their whole focus of their next show is going to be her constitutional rights. Yeah. Which is the smart move. But one, one thing they did notice is that I guess McCarthy, he led the meeting, but only he asked seven questions and then left. And, he, and so they have a shot of him with as an empty chair. We get to see more of that Senate hearing. It's when McCarthy leaves, more senators start standing up and defending her due process rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one in particular that was uh, going back and forth that he wants to be able to see the evidence against her. And that conviction by hearsay is just a complete farce. And he gets shot down by, I believe it was Cohen, who ends up being McCarthy's lawyer because of it being an active undercover FBI. Uh, and they're and they're questioning her a lot about how she used to work in the cafeteria. And then she got bumped up to the code room. It just basically they're fishing for they're fishing for something. to say something that they can jump jump on and say, well, then that must make you a communist. Off to the side, uh, Don Hollenbeck uh, confronts Ed Murrow and asks him to go after O'Brien. Murrow says he can. He says, I can't take on McCarthy and Hearst, which was a nice throw to William Randolph Hearst, who ran all the newspapers. Mm-hmm. Only mention to him, though. That's it. Yeah, Holland, Hollenbeck's kind of freaking out. And he's basically trying to, you know, come down and say, you'll weather this. But then we get to the actual McCarthy rebuttal as we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. he submitted a videotape merle calls it so the his only play is to go after the host his credibility yeah, yeah and and that's exactly what he did he he made a very um very well-spoken speech but filled with false modesty false humility i have no claim on leadership you know that that kind of crap yeah but then he goes into making all these claims against Murrow again without outlying any proof Mm. He was part of a communist organization because I said so. 
And Mar- and prior to airing the statement, Mar- Murrow flat out said, "We're going to we're going to play uh, uh, Mr. McCarthy's uh, rebuttal. We're not going to re- uh, say anything to re- to rebuke his tape at this time during this episode. So we're just going to play it, and that'll be it, kind of thing." That's the way it should be, though. Yeah, I did note a trope here, which is. Uh... Street uh, people in the street gathered around a TV sales window to watch a, a a TV event. We didn't get we didn't get the news the newsy boy extra extra read all about. No, you know, we didn't. That would have been sad. That would that would have fit. Read <laughs> <laughs> all about it. McCarthy's investigated by Senate or the or the spinning newspaper. <laughs> 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 After a quick commercial for Alcoa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the aluminum company, the aluminum of, company of America. America. Uh, we we get to the Murrow counter rebuttal show. Ed Murrow pretty much says he he denies it all in a very classy way, and said that McCarthy just proved our point. If you disagree with them, you are automatically a communist. Yeah, that's their go to. It's just kind of what they do. Yeah, he he yeah he made a point that McCarthy didn't rebuke anything we said. He just came after me. Mm-hmm. but I'm going to rebuke everything he said. <laughs> and he goes point by point of all the claims that McCarthy made and explain and explains the truth behind him or, you know, his side. Yeah. And he has a good uh, anecdote about the, apparently the socialist that dedicated a book to him. And the reason mm-hmm. he dedicated a book to him is not because he shared his views, but because he didn't share his socialist views. And they were able to, as adults, discuss it exactly point and counterpoint actually have a disagreement in a civilized manner and discuss ideas that are different whoa <laughs> yeah which was a huge no-no for red scare you couldn't have a cup of coffee with a communist unless you were a communist sympathizer in the eyes of mccarthy yeah just stupid yeah but the papers uh next day come in and uh well I don't say next day. I'll say next scene. I don't know how much time passes between that rebuttal show and when the guy comes in saying the Senate's going to investigate McCarthy. They make it sound like it's the next day. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I don't know either because yeah, we only had the we only had the callouts for those three dates. Yeah, it never it never called out the specific date any other time. I, I gotta assume some time passes between one show to, to between that show and then the papers coming out saying that. So. Mm. If not, uh, not years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So the Senate's going to investigate McCarthy and they're all quite happy about it. This is about, yeah. And then uh, everybody's kind of celebrating uh, again, taking it as a win when Fred gets a call. Oh yeah, that's right. And kind of looks, starts to get, starts to get, uh, he looks really spooked because everybody else in the room is happy. And then Fred, uh, you know, answered the phone call and just kind of goes deadpan. This was a good point of, of actual, actual suspense. Cause you don't know where it's going. It could be, you know, that someone got tagged as a communist, people are going to about to get arrested. You know, there was, I mean, my first thought was sure McCarthy's going to get investigated, but that was part of a deal that someone in the newsroom is going down. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe that guy was going to get tagged for his ex-wife kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like who's the fault? Fo- you know, if I'm going down, you're going down with me. He gets off that phone. He goes over to whisper to Murrow who also looks kind of spooked. And then it cuts to a uh, smooth jazz outro. And we find out through uh, a voiceover uh, of Murrow talking about Don Hollenbeck, who had was found dead, uh, committed suicide. 
Yeah, that, that was a shame. Yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So he just couldn't couldn't take the pressure and couldn't take uh, the accusations and everything anymore. The obituary, you know, I guess it's kind of an obituary that that Murrow gives says that he was he had been sick for quite a while. So I don't know if that's alluding to something else that maybe they just didn't talk about on the in the movie because the movie makes it look like it's all pressure from the newspapers and he just can't take the pressure. But there, I mean, with suicide, you never know. There's yeah, he could have been sick. It could have been other things. To to answer your question about the time passage, this would have been around June twenty second, nineteen fifty four. So this is quite a ways, or this is uh, a year after. Wow, or uh, almost a year, October to June. So about nine months. Is that so that, that is is that is that by Hollenbeck's, McCarthy's investigation or Hollenbeck's suicide? Hollenbeck's suicide. Because that they, they may not necessarily be. I mean, the movie makes it seem like it's all kind of within the same forty-eight hour True. period, but for all three events. But uh, it, it could be up in the air unless you're. you're it looks like you're googling. And I don't. I don't know if I'm going to find an actual date of when the uh, when they announced that. I just uh, looked up his uh, uh, date of death. This was uh, slight fudging of the facts for the movie. Yeah. I'd say it's just a bit of dramatic license there that they, they had to wrap it up and it's all kind of in a nice little 48 hour period. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, either way, it's, it's about nine months after initial McCarthy episode. So anyway, we, we get to cut after the, after the tribute, they cut to McCarthy uh, or the, the taping, the tape of McCarthy testifying in front of the Senate, which is when you get the, uh, that wonderful, uh, have you no sense of decency, sir? Yeah. Quote, yeah, I don't know the senator's name, but that was a that was a good, good hard line on him. Absolutely. We get a clip of Murrow's other show again, where he looks extremely bored. Yeah. <laughs> Sig Mickelson makes his second appearance. Second appearance. Uh, so. Well, he is in the, the award ceremony bookends. Fair enough. Okay, third appearance. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes and uh, tells tells Joe and Shirley that he needs to, to see him in their op- er, see both of them in his office. Gee, I wonder what this is about. Got to close off that storyline. So it's basically discussing that CBS, which at the time, for anyone interested, was called the Columbia Broadcasting System, not the Central Broadcasting System. Yeah, they made sure and say that many, many times. And I don't know the date when they changed, they renamed that. But uh, yeah, I have no um, idea. Uh, the, he discusses that the CBS has a policy that no two employees anywhere can be can be married, uh, which is uh, definitely not a standard policy these days. No. But I'll give him this. Uh, he obviously he has to enforce the policy, being the boss. But instead of firing them, he's basically telling them that fairly soon layoffs are coming anyway, and one of you can save somebody else from needlessly having to lose their job, kind of thing. So it was a, a classy way of letting them do it, and they took it well. Uh, I'm pretty sure Shirley immediately decided that Robert Downey Jr. was <laughs> not coming back. She joked about it. She's like, well, I'll pack, I'll, I'll pack your desk up. So He's like, yeah, I'm going to miss this place. <laughs> I have a historical note here. Uh, yeah. Joe does leave, and he, he spends six years writing for the New York Post before returning to CVS when they changed their uh, marital policies. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to be one of the original producers for 60 Minutes. Excellent. Nice. Yeah, my, my note for that particular talk, though, is uh, uh, Jeff Daniels tells them that everyone knows they are married. Nobody cares, including the viewers. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously and Jeff then... Daniels hasn't been seen since the beginning of the movie. Where, yeah. where has he been? 
hey, the whole corporation just took a swipe at Joe McCarthy. But where's where's Sig? He's, he's <laughs> in the office. <laughs> he's been dealing with uh, Paley. That's what he's been getting his ass chewed by Paley. He's, he's golfing with Alcoa, trying to keep him on yeah. the dollar. Apparently, <laughs> and Kent Kent cigarette. As we find out in the next scene, doesn't go so well because Paley calls both of them into the uh, into his office to let them know that they've lost Alcoa as a sponsor. So instead of uh, so they go back and forth for a while about whether he's going to fire fire him or Murrow even asks, why don't you want to why don't you just fire me? Uh, but he, they end up saying, uh, I believe he's going to change it from a thirty minute show to a sixty minute show, taking it off Tuesday nights and put it on Sunday afternoons. I'm assuming that's just a less viable time slot well the, the tuesday night prime time is like you said they, yeah. they, people want to be entertained they don't want to be lectured so it's kind of the beginning of the you know sunday night news programs or sunday morning as well yeah. but like uh but he also 60 minutes yeah, but he also said you get five episodes mm-hmm. and then it's done kind of thing so this was also the beginning of the end of see it now yes so uh and then uh, uh as he leaves uh he Keeps uh, Paley keeps Fred for a moment, and then a few moments later, Fred walks out, and Murrow's asking him, you know, what did what did he want? He's like, well, he wants me to lay off people. Like, how about we make the first episode about the downfall of tel- of television? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep, that sounds about right. Well, one one good uh, bit of trivia on that one also is that Paley makes the comment to Fred Friendly that uh, you should teach journalism. Yeah. And uh, Fred Friendly actually goes on to teach journalism at Columbia University. Yeah. Look at you with your researching. Never studied. They walk. <laughs> so they, they walk out of the, the room or it pans over to a couple of televisions set in the wall, one from the London feed and one of the New, New York feed. And it's uh, uh, Eisenhower giving a speech. I don't know the specifics of this speech. I wasn't paying that much attention. Yeah. No, me neither. Not at that point. But it it fades out, and we're back to the awards. This basically the second half of his awards speech back in nineteen back in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, that, and that's where he's say, the the bookend of his warning not to squander what television and the reporting of truth could be. Don't don't just make it lights and wires in a box. You use it properly. Mm-hmm. Directed by George Clooney, fade to black. Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Sorry. <laughs> So this was a great movie, and I think everyone should watch it. I don't care what their taste in movie is. They should take their time. It's not a perfect movie, by all means, but it's a good movie no. that is remarkably relevant today. It's just It shines a light on what proper journalism should be when you have good people behind the camera and you have logical people behind the camera. It's not about right. It's not about left. It's about the facts and the truth. There was no spin yeah. on his show. Every single news outlet today will say that no, we don't spin. The spin stops here, whatever. Yeah, bullshit. Absolute bullshit. This show was perfectly shown as there is no spin. These are the facts. Would you mm-hmm. like to rebut them with your own facts? Mm-hmm. No, you don't have facts? Okay. Then these facts still stand. And it was they wouldn't attack anybody. They wouldn't attack anybody. They got attacked, and they did, and kind of brushed it off. And again, went just went with facts. This is the kind of news that I would love to see again. But again, this goes back to people want to be entertained, not lectured. There's no there's no Why? ratings in that. Yeah, 
Yeah, there's no ratings in rea- in truth, just entertainment. So unfortunately, this is how we got to this point. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of those movies that w- should flat out be shown in every high school journalism class or any type of this. This would be like a good high school government or uh, government journalism or cinema or, or theater class. Ethics, mm-hmm. civics, uh, law. I mean, just it covers so many different rule areas there i mean it, it goes down you know government overreach journalistic decisions yeah. political influence sponsors politicians are garbage it's it covers so much ground with just facts mm-hmm. and it's not a this might happen if such and such this actually happened exactly this is 100 happened which means it could happen again and we're starting to see something of that in in the whole concept with cancel culture absolutely and that's why it's so relevant today you know whether it's you know, dave Chappelle or other things and then we, we th- this is not a political podcast yeah yeah let's not yeah let's not get in get into the specifics if you want us to <laughs> give us money <laughs> if you're going to cancel us pay us first <laughs> yeah we are in fact coin operated so <laughs> otherwise we're just here to say hey this was a good movie so uh, to go over our usual questions, you know, does it hold up today? Uh, absolutely. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> In political correctness, I would say no, because it is a period piece. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind, kind of, of the point. Uh, and then, yeah, cultural sensitivity. Uh, it's a period piece. It's, that, one, that one's hard to Again. judge. It, it, it is kind of hard to judge, but I mean, this is... Uh, and again, it was real. So they were they were defending uh, Serbian American that uh, the Serbian American guy uh, from the U.S. Air Force. They were defending the constitutional rights of the African American. Yeah, absolutely, woman. they were they were very um, very respectful. So of, I would say, regardless of culture, I would say the main protagonists definitely had cultural sensitivity. And I wouldn't say the antagonists were culturally insensitive. It, it was cultural. It was political. Yeah. So I don't I don't think McCarthy had anything against them other than he assumed that they were communists. I actually had this as my alternate version of uh, what if the movie were told from the antagonist perspective. Now I, I've seen a I've seen a movie uh, I've seen the movie uh, Trumbo. I don't know if you ever seen that one with. Uh, I, I have not. I know I know it's got Brian Cranston in it, but, but no, I haven't seen it. Yeah, with Brian Cranston, uh, excellent movie. Um, it's very good, but it, it tells the story from a Hollywood director who's being been blacklisted perspective, but this particular story, if it were actually told from McCarthy's perspective, I think it would be interesting, but I think it, I don't think it would be something I'd want to watch because I'd probably disagree with pretty much everything. You don't, you don't want to be the, the bad guy to really be the good guy kind of thing. I do have from an alternative perspective told from Pele's perspective. Mm-hmm. That would be neat. You know, just, you know, you're focused on Frank Langelli and you know, he's got, you get to, I would like to see the pressure he was getting. Yeah. Told, told from the studio exec. Yeah. yeah. I would have liked to have seen, uh, I, that, that could fill a whole nother hour and a half for me just watching that. We could get, we could get an entire perspective from Sig. 
just to see where he was for their entire movie. <laughs> you know, 80 minutes of him going out, getting, uh, grabbing his laundry, eating a burger, and then coming back and telling Joe and, <laughs> Joe and Shirley that they're, one of them's got to be fired. He was, on a, he was on a sabbatical to Aspen. He changed his name to Lloyd. He, he went with his friend Harry out to Aspen. <laughs> Yeah, where the beer flows like wine. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, another one. Who is this movie for? I'd say pretty much anyone today. Every American. Yeah. I mean, honestly, not just American. And not, e- not even just American. There are uh, plenty of other people are in the world that some type of political environment where something like this, let alone there are existing political environments where things like this are still, are still happening. That's something a commie would say. Oh, what do you mean? There's people not American. What? Wait, what, dude? <laughs> Pinko, dude. Look at our subscribers list. Shut up. <laughs> we love you, Romania. Keep listening. <laughs> Somehow, still on the charts in Romania. Don't know why, but you're awesome. <laughs> but we like it. Uh, as far as recasting, I can't picture anybody playing Ed Murrow though. Of today's actors, no, I think that age, I think just, he nailed that. I think he nailed that perfectly. As far as a different version, um, I put a comedy would be interesting if they did this as a almost like a I don't know Office or Scrubs kind of comedy. <laughs> you, you imagine Edward Armour cutting to Edward Armour just staring at the camera like Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, with the heavy material that they're talking about, it, it could be it could be quite tone deaf at times. You say that I'm picturing like an Aaron Sorkin style West Wing where the camera's following him, just talking really fast, walking through a hall, walking around the hallway oh, the entire Veep. thing. Veep style. Yeah. Yeah. Make, yeah. make this whole hour and a half movie with Veep style. I could totally see that now where the camera cuts and then you've got Murrow and, and Fred Friendly cussing at each other or where are my goddamn <laughs> cigarettes? I want my Kents. <laughs> Now, for, for me, I, I went uh, a little different. I went for a musical just because I think it would be funny as hell <laughs> to have this, uh, this uh, you know, this serious of a topic be done to in uh, Broadway style. Oh, Alcoa, please don't take <laughs> your money away. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can have the interns run and stream, stream an aluminum foil in the background. <laughs> <laughs> now, I definitely could see this as a stage play, kind of like – yeah. Um, 12 angry men style yeah absolutely um <laughs> as i believe we found out um this one while it may be appropriate uh, younger viewers it's probably not anywhere near entertaining enough for younger viewers no they thought i was watching the news <laughs> did it were there any comments of how it was of why it was in black and white no actually no they uh they just assumed i was watching the news still and just kind of <laughs> i mean that ignored it that to itself just speaks of how <laughs> newsworthy this looked so steve uh what were your final thoughts on this movie i i stand by my statement that this is an excellent movie it's it's very well made it's beautiful in black and white with you know the cinematography and the shadows and the lighting it's just it's it's really neat to watch plus the you know, the behind the scenes nature of that new show. I just, I recommend this movie to anybody. Yep. I would, I would go that way too. From a quote unquote movie standpoint, I would say, you know, from a dramatic standpoint, at least 
it's fairly anticlimactic. There wasn't a huge buildup or anything. It was, in a sense, more of a documentary. There were little things, uh, particularly with Hollenbeck. That was kind of the more climactic scene. That was the most climactic scene in it. I think this is more Clooney seems to wanted to tell this story. I agree with that. Like it, it, it goes right up there with like some of the the more recent documentary type movies that you've seen, like Richard Jewell. They might be a little more dramatized for nowadays, but it was uh, because the director just wanted to tell the story. I love the use of the real footage instead of uh, trying to reenact it. They, they didn't reenact anything they didn't have to. Uh, they had the main cast and uh, you know the arm and some of the main antagonists or some of the side antagonists like uh, the army people. But it was actually McCarthy. It was actually Liberace. It was actually Eisenhower in that speech. It was actually uh, Milo Radulovich, uh, Annie Lee Moss. That was that. Those were the real people. Yeah. So that was really cool. So I, I was. I found myself being kind of torn as to trying to go for a rating on this from an entertaining aspect versus from a uh, informational aspect because it can go either way. I agree with that. So. Aaron, who would you like to nominate for the Cinema Decon Hall of Fame? So this to me is no question. Uh, It's easy to find one person that truly stands out on this one, and it's going to be David Strathairn as Murrow. See, I went with Clooney. You went with Clooney. Well, because he's also the writer and director. This was his movie. He made this movie happen. It was his passion project. I I don't see the movie. I mean, Strathairn was great. But I just have Clooney as as that triple threat making this movie happen. I like, and I I'd see do see your point to it, but I don't know. I just I I truly love Strayhorn's performance in this one. Fantastic performance! I, I can't fault him for mm-hmm. that. I think he lost the Oscar to uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote, which I mean that's some stiff competition there. Very true. But he was nominated, and well, so was Clooney for Best Director, I think, too, and Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go with Stratham. But Fred Friendly's character wasn't wasn't anything special. I mean, because mm-hmm. Clooney was obviously behind the camera as well. But yeah, that that was that was a a tour de force performance by Stratham. All right, congratulations to David Stratham. If wow. and um, uh, I apologize if I've been saying his last name incorrectly this whole time. I don't, I'm not sure. But David Stratham, Simba Decon Hall of Fame. Now's the time on our show where we rank the movie based on our fan review while also adding in the IMDb rating. This 10-point scale uh, and the average will put the movie in our mega list. For me, um, I thought this was, again, it was a great movie from an informational aspect. It was very interesting topic, uh, one that I'm, I mean, somewhat familiar with before and obviously a little more familiar with now. In that aspect, I treat this more as kind of a dramatized documentary than dramatic movie. Uh, but still, it's something, uh, like we both said, I, th- I think it's something that everyone should watch just from the informational aspect of it. As I've said before, I love the excellent use of the real footage instead of trying to recreate sections, which this is it's not something that would be done much today. Uh, it's probably a lot easier to do in black and white as well because you have that much more footage or historical footage to go over. From a dramatic like entertaining standpoint, it uh, again, like I said, it was pretty anticlimactic uh, because it was more real, and you know that's what life is. It's just a series of down notes. <laughs> so 
Um, I ended up giving this a 6.7. Okay. Good solid score on the, uh, the upper side of the scale. So I, I did enjoy this movie quite a bit. The You are correct as far as it, it was anticlimactic because you kind of know that McCarthyism ends. There's really no big final act. Uh, I did really enjoy the behind the scenes look of, of that newsroom and the care that Clooney took in kind of just presenting all of that at face value. There, there really wasn't any dramatic license that I could see that was kind of thrown in there. No personal messaging, no, nothing from, you know, this was made in 05, so even still nothing from the 2000s like forced into the period piece. It was just, as it was, an honest period piece. However, still that Joe Shirley storyline, just every time they're, they're on screen and talking about their love life, it drags the movie down because it has nothing to do with McCarthyism and journalistic ethics or government overreach, nothing. So I take a few points off there, but my overall score is a seven. Ah, all right. We take both of our scores and combine it with the IMDb, yeah, IMDb rating, which for this movie is a 7.4. By our scores combined, Good Night and Good Luck comes out to 7.03, which puts this movie in fifth place, uh, below Tremors, but above Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, that is such a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing should be above Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> I was actually discussing this recently with a, a buddy that I play hockey with. Uh, it was a, a Jewish kid that just moved down from New York and has never seen that. So, and had <laughs> gone to Jewish summer camp. So I was like, "So you've obviously seen Went on American Summer?" And he's like, "No, what's that?" Oh my god! You need to listen to our podcast. <laughs> Would you like to listen to my podcast? <laughs> Would you like to play a game? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Before we spin the numbers, do you want to go through and media pitch what you are watching or listening to now? Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, there is uh, one that there's a new show that just actually came out last week off of, I believe it's on Prime. Uh, Amazon Prime. Um, but it is one of those shows where they dumped four episodes to start out with and then are doing the rest of them on a week by week basis, which evil really pisses me off because I got hooked in the first two episodes, but this is a, uh, a different take on, I know what you did last summer. Uh, is that actually the title? Which, yes. Okay. It's, I know what you did last summer, which it was interesting that I for me to find out that the mo- the old nineties was that nineties. Yeah. yeah. The old 90s. Jennifer Love Hewitt movie was actually based on a book which I didn't know. So this is, uh, it was loosely based on a book and this is also loosely based on the same book. So that it's a completely different cast. So it's, it's not like a 25 years later. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different storyline. It's just the same concept. Uh, It's uh, these six high school age kids in Hawaii in a small, uh, small town in Hawaii. Definitely a lot of NC 17 scenes or at least some good rated R ones. Um, But it's, definitely more relevant today like one of the kids is like an instagram star okay there are five episodes out as of now the sixth episode is dropping this uh this friday so my pitch not going to be a surprise to to too many uh, but if you haven't seen this show you should squid game i I gotta put my recommendation behind squid game that was a easily the the most compelling uh series i've watched all year 
I, I put it up on top of Loki or WandaVision or any of the other ones that I've watched. I mean, this that was phenomenal. Oh yeah. For, for those that don't know out there, Squid Game is a show on Netflix where very rich people lure in uh, people who are struggling for money to play in a series of children's games to win a lot of money. And I won't give any spoilers at all, but yeah, that's all. That's all we. Need. That's all you need. <laughs> it is an excellent show. It's a Korean. Yeah, it was a Korean Korean show. Which on it was one of the things where when I first saw the I I had heard about it. I heard all the buzz about it, so I went and watched a uh, a trailer on YouTube, and the trailer on YouTube was entirely uh, subtitled. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I'm not the biggest fan of reading movies, but I've heard so much good things about it, and the trailer looks pretty cool, so I'll watch it. Thankfully, when I actually watched it... It was dubbed? It, it was English dubbed. The dubbing was done quite well. Yeah, it's not bad. But yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. There's ups and downs and, and twists and turns, and it was, it's, it's pretty awesome. So, and I cannot give away any more if you haven't watched it yet. I, w- I would also like to mention a, a new podcast that is launching next week from the Sidereal Media Group, Music Rewind. Uh, this is a new show where uh, we bring on a guest to talk about their favorite album. There's currently four episodes on Music Rewind's Patreon, but the the actual official launch publicly will be next Monday on November 1st, depending on when this particular episode drops. I don't know when, whenever I get off my ass and edit it and post it. Please check out that other, that other podcast when you get a chance and uh, let me know what you think. All right, so now we will spin. Spin that wheel. Seventy-four. Ooh, low number. Low number. Seventy-four. What do we got? <laughs> Appropriate for Halloween, kind of. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Critters. Dun dun dun. The nineteen eighty-six film Critters. Oh man, I haven't seen this since I was a kid. This is gonna be. Oh. This is gonna be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it could be very good, terrible. That's one. This is one of those ones. You know, there were so many movies like this. <laughs> this is going to be honest to god terrible. <laughs> oh, it's going to be an odd pre-watch for this one too. <laughs> Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening, and we hope you stay with us for this little experiment. What did you think of Good Night and Good Luck? Let us know on our socials, and we'll be sure to tell you how wrong you are. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out our website in the show notes and see the full list of movies we'll be covering in our rankings thus far. You can also visit us on our Patreon, where we'll try to post some outtakes before the final cut. We'll see you next time on CinemaDecon. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.